and welcome to the Daft Souls podcast. My name is Matt. I'm joined by Chris Bratt. Hello. And Kezza McDonald. Hello. Hello. Uh, we've had a little short break on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, a little, just uh, a, <laughs> a, a, little, a little siesta. A little blip. And you are now listening to season two of the podcast, which is now, um, is now back as a, probably a monthly-ish thing mm-hmm. uh, with us three. Uh, it's been a long time, um, but I really miss doing it. And I asked these guys if they wanted to kind of bring it back into the fold. So now it's going to be a three-way podcast between us three people talking about games and doing things. We yeah. haven't really got a plan for this at all. <laughs> Can you um, tell? Well, I mean, I think I have played some video games over the last two years. I have. I have good. as well. That's like, good to I've know. I've played a couple. I've uh, also missed doing this podcast. Yeah. It's, it, been a su- it's a super podcast. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad it's back. Um, in terms of what it's going to be like as well, I have no idea. It's quite exciting. We're mixing up the format of it rather than it being a podcast by Matt or a podcast by Matt and Quinns. It's going to be us three and it means that the format is probably going to change a little bit and these guys are going to be bringing some of their own things to it over time. We're and, in my uh, house yeah. now. It's great. I just had to wait. And literally, I just turn up with a suitcase full of audio equipment, and it just sort of happens. Uh, This time, though, I think we're just going to be having a ramble about some things we played lately lately, and have enjoyed. Uh, But in the future, who knows? Fantastic. So, got big plans, Matt. You've got big... I know. My you, plans are large. You're getting excited. Now. That's really cool. Because I've got, I got no ideas. I'm out. I'm like a, a dry well. Nice. It's, it's still called Death Souls, right? It still has the cool intro music. It does. I mean, I, I did say to you, I was like, do you want to do a podcast, Chris? And can we... I mean, we don't have to call it Daft Souls, but... We're keeping the same music <laughs> and, the same, and the same initial format. I, and so. most of the same people. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I was mainly like, I don't mind if we just start a new thing and call it something different, but we've got to keep that music because mm. I love it. The intro and outro is just too good. So anyway, what have you guys been playing? Keza, what have you been playing lately? What have you been <laughs> in the last really two enjoying in the last years. two years? Pick a game that you've loved in the past two years. Well, I mean, in the last two years, I, I had a baby. You no. did the have, best, yeah. Arguably the hardest game of all. The hardest game of all. So it, it's, but it's been a very interesting change to many things. <laughs> <laughs> Among them, my gaming habits, because I, so I had a year off work, mm. so I wasn't playing games for work, which was great, because I was playing them for enjoyment again. Not that I don't enjoy games I play for work, but you mm. know, it, and uh, so I, I basically spent a year playing Zelda, uh, just the whole year, because I didn't have any other. I didn't need to play anything else, really. And the Switch is just a godsend if you have any small people in your life. Mm. Uh, or if you just have no attention capacity. That's, or trains. If you have a lot of trains in your life also, I'm the Switch is great. I'm still playing Zelda, actually. Mm. I was playing it this morning, and uh, I must have been playing it now for about a year and a half. Oh, man. And um, it's wonderful for bits. I actually feel really sorry for all the people who rushed to review it, because mm. all these reviews came out, and they're like, ah, it's pretty repetitive, it's got some annoying things, but I'm like... This is not a game you were supposed to play in a week. Do you know what? I didn't read a single review of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I didn't even read a review. I just bought it and enjoyed it. I don't think I did, it's but great. I just remember people being like, oh, you know, it's repetitive. People complaining about the weapons breaking. And, uh, I mean, and... I, th- I just enjoyed it because I was playing it over such a long period of time. I felt like I just went to live in Hyrule for a bit. You know, for, for a good eight months, I played it pretty much every day. But just for, for however long I had, so 20 yeah. minutes or an hour. And it was just such a new way of experiencing games for me because usually it's kind of on a deadline mm-hmm. and I have to be in a room and I have to finish it, you know? So the I, question I have then, and I think this is quite interesting is have you found now coming back to it and coming back to a job where you're kind of doing game stuff? Um, have you been trying to keep that? Have you been trying to keep that? Like I'm just going to try and dip in and enjoy things in little bits rather than getting overwhelmed. Yes. Cause yeah. so I also moved jobs. 
So I don't, I don't, I'm not the editor of Kotaku anymore. I, I now work at The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm games editor there. And the advantage of that is that I'm obviously not going to cover all the video games. I'm not going to be able to play all the video games. It's never going to happen. So I've just become more selective. Mm. Like I, I am interested in this, these things and these things and these things. And I'll, I'll try and play as much as I can. But I'm no longer like killing myself over needing to have an opinion on every game. Mm-hmm. Every big game anyway. Um, which is, it's just been great. It means that I have, I have just i've just changed the way that i approach video games like what are they for for me and they're they're now about a way for me to uh not not work not relax but just like experience something new in my in my day that isn't looking after children or sitting in front of a computer so i've ended up um playing almost everything on switch because i've actually just left my house for an hour to go sit on the beach and play video games because I need to combine. <laughs> I now need to combine. Like my spare time is so small now that I need to combine everything I love. Going and, to the beach yes, and again. I need to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. So like games have become. So instead of like, oh, oh excellent, it's a Saturday. I've got five hours. I'm going to sit down and just really get into. That's not an option now. No. So it's become something that I fit in around everything else. Um, but that's made me enjoy it more. It's kind of not an option for me either for different reasons. Mm. I think because I'm I'm. Over the past couple of years, I've actually kind of had the same thing happen to me, but for different reasons. I think I'm, I'm trying to be a conscientious husband a lot of the time. So I, I think to myself, hey, it's the weekend. I'm going to like, I'm going to sit and play a video game for five hours. It's going to be great. But then I'll be like, oh, actually, no. first I said I'd do this. And then I, oh, I should really go and do that in the cellar. And then I've got to fix that. And then should I've you do to, what in the cellar? What are you doing in the cellar? None of your business, mate. None of your business. I've got things to get on with, right? <laughs> You know, you were down there for long enough. <laughs> yeah, your wife hasn't asked you to do anything in the cellar. You just like being there, man. Yeah. Organization, putting things in boxes. Yeah. Does this need to be in the flat? Could it be in the cellar? I'm putting it in the cellar. <laughs> we got, we got. It's like very video gamey. We got an upgrade on our cellar space because part we had a little tiny cupboard in the cellar and then it flooded very badly. This is just boring house stuff. Now. <laughs> this is such an adult podcast. All adults by adults. We had a very small cupboard space underground. It flooded very badly. A lot of my stuff got damaged. I actually am building up the courage to take out my Dreamcast and GameCube because I'm pretty sure there's kind of some, especially on the controllers. For I haven't really looked at everything, but the controllers I can see there's like a tiny orange rim around the outside of the edges of the plastic and of the controller, and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure these things are fuzzy and fried. So I'm I'm putting off looking at that because I'm worried I'm going to plug them in and they're literally going to set on fire. But anyway, because of that, the people in charge of the building felt bad and they've given us like a, a place that was a kind of communal area, but no one was using it. And so now we've got like quite a big cellar space. For you to have your so, wine. Exactly. Well, no, not wine. Just it's more me being like, I've tried to be quite pragmatic about being like, does this need to live in my cupboard or and, can it live you know, underground? Your model trains, your hobbies. Well, I'm always trying to... <laughs> make space or make room so i can have more of a kind of i've recently moved my sofa closer to the tv which i've been trying to do and argue with my wife about for years and um i, I don't understand you people how <laughs> neither of you <laughs> yeah it's uh closer basically like it's just a case of like a bit closer um, so I can read things because I've been playing a bit of God of War and you just... just your you, eyes are going. The, the text in that game is so small. <laughs> Come on, I'm not, I'm not that old. It's just like, I want to I wanna be able to wanna be able to stick close to the TV. So anyway, but then it's like, all right, well, I'll juggle that around and move this stuff. But yeah, it means that when I've got down to it, I'm like, I want to make some lunch. I want to tidy this up. I've got to do some washing. I've got to do all the adult stuff that you've got to do. Um, and then by the time I've done that, I'm like, well, you've got 45 minutes. I'm like, all right, well, I'll play 45 minutes. Kind of, yeah, it's, it's difficult to express this concisely, but when you have less time, 
you enjoy things more <laughs> oddly. Mm. So when you have, you only have 45 minutes for a game, I would find, like people were complaining about Zelda, you know, the things that used to bother me about games because I was playing them so much and in such intensive, mm. they just don't bother me anymore. No, Doesn't same. I, I kind of like almost everything, almost everything I play now, which is, uh, you know, not great sometimes. Like sometimes something's just uh, the sort of thing you notice in a game when you're playing it consistently for hours. You just don't notice it when it's when it's split up into little no. little nice blocks or like that. So I notice some things, but they're kind of odd. Um, a thing I've been having lately, which is kind of interesting, is I've been because of this basically because of the fact that like most modern games are quite finesse, but also quite big and are meant to be experiences that you really will immerse yourself in for a very long amount of time. And I love the idea of doing that, but I just don't have the time. Um, I don't tend to play many of them anymore. So what I've been doing, though, is rather than just trying to... Because I'm kind of completely detached from the the circle of hype now, really. I'm just... I, I've become 100% punter. I am just free. I am just somebody who plays games. I'm just a, a bit more of a well-informed punter than most. Um, but it means I've been going back and I've been thinking, well, hang on a minute, like... I don't really like a lot of modern game design. Um, and I was like, well, maybe instead of just moaning about this, maybe you should just go back and like play more games of an era where you quite enjoyed the game design. So I've been going back and playing games from about eight years ago, which has been quite interesting. Is that holding up or is that rose-tinted glasses? It's a mixture of things. And this is the thing is it's not exactly rose-tinted glasses because I'm not replaying things. I'm playing things I never played. Oh, okay, great. Um, I'm oh. going back and like playing stuff that like... That's something I just feel like I'm never going to be able... You know when people are like, yeah. what do you know when on Twitter sometimes someone's like, hey, what games do you just play over and over? I'm like, none. Yeah, <laughs> there is no. no game I've played more than twice. I've had <laughs> that a possible. bit. Like, but no, it's more like going back and being like, I find it quite interesting because you do look at things differently. Like, I want to play God of War about a month and a half ago, but I was like, that game costs 60 British pounds. Mm. And you can't see the text because you're... And I can't see because um, my eyes are perfect. I've got eyes like a hawk. <laughs> but I was like, I'm not going to pay 60 pounds for this. Not because I don't think it's worth it, because I know I'm paying for an experience which is a big experience. And I have bought it now and I'm enjoying it, but I was like, it's not worth that to me now because I'm not going to be able to play it. I'll play it for like two hours and then wander off. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, I got free on PlayStation Network. I got... Darksiders 2 Ultimate Edition. That's like God of War. Sort of. I was like, I'm just going to boot this up and have a look at it. And I'll tell you what, it's not that great. Right? It's not that great. Really? I don't yeah. remember it being awful. It's, it's just, not awful either. I it's don't remember much really it. interesting. And it's an era of games where like, what I find fascinating is when you go back and play something like this from like seven or eight years ago, you don't um, look at it like a critic you don't look at it being like is this game good is this game bad Mm -hmm. has this game used innovative new trends in an interesting way you look at it more like as a historian and you're like this is interesting like the game design of this it's kind of got that like creeping diablo style loot but it's very much on the crap side where you just get loads of stuff and you there's too many stats Mm -hmm. and you're like whatever but then it has this like weird thing of like trying to have like an mmo world but for a single player rpg oh man i was talking to someone about this the other day because they were like oh mmos died and I said, no, they definitely didn't. They exist in every game now. Yeah. Every game yeah. has these elements. And so there, there was this kind of big boom period in about 2005, six, where everything was an MMO. And there was, I was trying to remember because there was that Matrix MMO that was going to be amazing. Oh, and it was then, Kingdoms of Amalur, which Kingdoms I feel really Amalur. guilty about because I slated in review. But then I played that game and I completed it and I played the DLC and completed it. Like, I liked that game, but I just, I didn't like it as a critic. Mm. 
but it was a fun, dumb game. And I always feel like, but yeah, like it, it's really interesting going and looking at this and being like, this game's not great, but I'm not incensed by it. I'm not annoyed by it because it's like, it feels like so much time has passed. that I'm just able to look at it and be like, this is interesting. Mm. Like this is very much a product of its time. Mm-hmm. I, I can see what they were trying to do. I can see where they succeeded. I can see where they failed. I do really enjoy that you you were thinking about playing God of War. You thought it was a bit expensive, so you went to play a game where the main character is just called War. <laughs> War. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in the second game, he's called Death. Oh, is it Death? He's trying, oh. he's trying to clear War's name. I never oh, finished of course, the yeah. first one, but it's got so much plot. And I tell you what, the voice acting is not always terrible. It's quite right. fun. And the thing I have been playing, though, that actually I've been Mark really Hamill's enjoying. in it. Mark Hamill's the, yeah. like, uh, weird imp thing that... But is it an imp? Something, it was like a, a sort of mocking, uh, like, side character that follows you around for the game. I, I don't know. I, I need to keep playing it, but it's huge and it's kind of put me off and I'm playing a much more well honed thing it's funny because I, I kind of got it because yeah because i was I, these dumb surface similarities i'm like i already have this i can play this for free because mm-hmm. it's like one of the playstation plus games and i was like this game's about an overpowered character in an open world fighting things so is this one yeah what's the difference what what could be the difference? <laughs> it's exactly the same but now i'm realizing that it's like no this aspiration of having big open worlds the reality of that was like yeah, but you've got to walk around and fight these enemies to grind to level up. Whereas, like, God yeah. of War has a big open world, but it doesn't. No, it's, the God of War, look, it tricks you into thinking it's going to be one of those tick-off-the-boxes open worlds. Mm. And although its world is large, it just concentrates everything in, in little patches of it. So you spend a lot of time just looking and knowing that there's nothing to do. You know, you're not having to, you know, apart from the stupid ravens. To hell with those stupid, <laughs> stupid ravens. I hate them. But you know that see, you can I can just see be... them perfectly because I've got really good eyes. <laughs> eyes like a raven. Eyes like um, a raven. But the idea that, you know, all the the, act, the the stuff in these worlds is concentrated in little areas that are like self-contained puzzly areas. And, and I it just... It does a really I good just, job of being like, you can't oh, come here now. I just love the way that it felt free and it felt open, but it wasn't overwhelming. And it, it, was, it was so well designed because I find open worlds are actually quite lazy. Yeah. You know, it's just like, let's just... A lot of the time, open world game design feels just like... We just put a bunch of stuff everywhere it doesn't feel very authored mm. a lot of the time for me now it's just like oh good lots of stuff whereas in god of war you know that if you're going to do a quest if you're going to find a quest in the open world it's going to be a story it's going to take you on your own little mini journey it's going to have a really cool set piece it's not just going to be some random stuff that happens like this is something that really bothered me about far cry 5 this year yeah i mean that's... is that all the stuff that happens in that game is feels insignificant to yeah. me and pointless. It doesn't feel like anything has been achieved or that I've gone on any kind of... I've actually, you know, some random stuff has happened and it was fun. That's just it. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. Nothing else. I think it's else. interesting There's that no for me, uh, I feel like I've, I've driven off that cliff a long time ago now. And, yeah, and for me, games like Far Cry 5, I'm just not even going to look at. Like, I'm not even interested in like... It used to be that I'd be like, oh, I'll play it and I'll see what I think. But now it's just like, no... Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm just not going anywhere near that. I'm speaking but. of like, things that things that you don't notice about games when you play them in short bursts. Because um, I had a year off, and then you know now I work at the Guardian. I'm not quite so involved in gamer discourse, you mm-hmm. know, because I don't have to keep on top of the news about whatever drama there is. So I played Destiny Two when I was away, yeah. and I really liked. It. I enjoyed it. I played through the story. I don't really give a shit about the story of Destiny. I had a lovely time. I played it. I was like, well, that was a great, fun, shooty time. And then I didn't touch it again. And then I moved on, you know, for the next six months, thinking that was a good game. Destiny, and then when yeah. I when I came back to work, I wrote an article about Destiny Two, saying, well, that was good, Ooh. and it was like. Like it was just like a whole thing. And I kind of wrote about my experience as a new parent playing it and how it was difficult to get involved in all the loops and all the grinding and, 
you know, make and I, I just enjoyed that basically it had refitted itself to be at least vaguely playable for people who don't have tens of hours Destiny every two, week. For me, actually, was the nail in the coffin mm. in terms of being, um, in terms of being like, you know, I'm not actually covering stuff in the way I used to anymore. I'm talking about it because screw this. And it was the same reason because actually, what I loved about Destiny Two when I played it was I was like, oh man. What they've done here is they've specifically changed the game. They've taken away all the stuff. They've made it they the st- RNG stuff. Like, and- the problem with the first game was it was very addictive, mm. but there wasn't actually a lot to do in it. Mm. The second game had loads more stuff to do than the first game comparatively, loads more, but it wasn't addictive. And what was interesting was people got angry that it wasn't addictive. Right, people and I were found saying, that just confusing. Yeah, with the first game, people were like, "Hey." I wanted to play the first game every day for years. With this one, I played it for a month and wanted to stop. It's like the fact that you good. don't see that that's good <laughs> yeah. is a real problem. And it was it's not confusing that- though. I can see why that happens, right? If you're yeah. given if you're giving a taste of something that's going to be just part of your daily routine. And we but we talked about this earlier over lunch, like in the fact that like I really do feel like there's always been a disconnect between um uh, press and media and critics and the audience but I feel that now the chasm of that is totally different because of the fact that like yes people who are critics are checking out lots of stuff but also they're people who over time it's their job they will develop lives probably and they will want what we want little experiences however a lot of the audience they just want something to do with life and I do feel like games are this thing where like People expect Destiny as a service to be something they can fill their life with indefinitely. And to me, that feels both really toxic, but also really worrying. And also, it's one of the few games where I'm like, I remember when I was playing it, I was like, I really love that. I had a great time with it. And every time there's a new expansion, I pop on and play it for a few days. And for me, that value point is kind of perfect. Mm -hmm. But... I appreciate it's not for anyone else, but also I don't want to talk about it. Like I don't want to get into it because I think it's, yeah, it's fascinating. It's actually not worth talking about. But I it's say like from experience at yeah. this point because it's just. I mean, I, yeah, I, I was not prepared for. You know, I had. You know, it was. I had Destiny streamers kind of setting people on me. And because yeah. you know, it was perceived as like I was complaining that this game was not made specifically for me with my mother needs, essentially. And like, and they were like, well, why should it be made for you? We're all enjoying it. And I'm like, okay, guys, yeah. that's fine. That's really fine. It's okay. But then I did, you know, all the things that people bring up about Destiny 2, you know, the RNG changes, the kind of long game changes, the changes to the loops. Just didn't notice them because I don't, I don't, I don't play games enough to, no. to notice that kind of really long tail Stuff anymore. The main thing I noticed is they just they'd taken away a lot of the work and mm. they made it so that like whenever you got things you just got to enjoy them straight away. Whereas a lot of Destiny, the first game, was hinged around hey you've got this amazing gun, but it can't do all the amazing things it can do until you play with it for a few hours mm. and then you think I'm going to do that and then you're just at the point where you're just about to finish leveling up this perfect amazing gun and then you get another one and it starts to loop again and you're always getting something new that if you just keep working at it it's going to be great when you're done. But with this, it was just like, here's an awesome gun. Enjoy it straight away. Yeah. And for me, it felt like much more gratifying and much more generous in terms of the all the mechanics behind the scenes. And it kind of broke my heart when I realized that they had, there's no way it could have happened without the people who designed Destiny specifically making it a game which was less addictive, less compulsive, and more generous. Oh, that's interesting. You think that was an active choice? There's so no from way. The, from, I, I haven't played uh, Destiny 2, but from seeing the discourse happening, I had assumed that there was a fault on the design of the game and that they had sort of messed up. Was well, that it the seems vibe? deliberate. I think, they've yeah. made it so that you don't have to, for instance, go and do the same kind of little loops of the same areas and the same strikes to maybe get a new thing. You know, my, my, my I played a lot of Destiny 1, especially with my stepson, who's really obsessed with it. And... Um, you know, you, you would have to do the same thing three or four times for a chance at a loot drop that you wanted. You know, it was, it was that 
kind of yeah. MMO design. But then Destiny 2 kind of removed that because... Well, the problem with the first game, and they knew this, was that they made a game which was too addictive and then didn't have enough stuff to meet stuff that addiction. To and to so do, their answer yeah. with the second game was to try and fix both those things. They mm. tried to make it less addictive. I'm pretty sure of this. Anyway, I feel very confident about it because... It feels deliberate when you play um, it. Because like, a lot of the... Yeah, yeah the, the stuff that... I mean, the funny thing about Destiny 1 is a lot of it wasn't deliberate. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think they expected people to be sitting outside no. of a loot cave for weeks <laughs> trying no. to, you know, trying to get... I don't think they expected people to do extremely repetitive well, things they were over really, and over again. Well, they were really good like at making did. the loop. And yeah. they made the loop too good. They made the loop too good. <laughs> but this, I feel like it's almost if it's almost a moral obligation to make mm. the loop less good. Exactly. You know I mean? And I think what's fascinating now is when you have an audience who are actually getting angry because a game is not addictive enough. That's the point where I'm like, you know what? Like, there's nothing that I can say in this conversation apart from all of you guys have problems. And But this is why, like, and I did, I think it was... I can't remember we've done this, the timelines of this, but I did a talk in Germany last year. No, it must have been after Dark Souls wasn't really a thing. I did a talk in Germany about the cultural significance of games um, at Gamescom, and that's online. You can watch it and had to remove the comments because it got thousands of downvotes from literal American Nazis. Mm-hmm. But that was when I became aware of American Nazis, and now they're kind of more popular, obviously. You know, I, was, <laughs> I was in there, there earlier. Yeah, you were, yeah, you you were know, there was, when they were just playing tiny bars. I was really confused by it, though. I was like, these are actual Nazis, but also like really patriotic Americans. This is really strange. Anyway, um, they didn't like what I had to say, but a lot of people thought it was quite interesting. But it was basically the fact that like, I really do believe that games now are a place where disenfranchised people just live in quite large numbers. And, and the internet. Yeah, and I think that people who don't have a lot going on in their life and are a bit worried about the future and don't have anything to do, video games are an extremely efficient way of spending money to make time disappear. Mm. And I understand that, and I don't begrudge it, and I don't think I don't want to laugh at those people because I think the world's in a very strange place at the moment. But at the same time, in terms of having conversations about whether or not games are good, when the conversation about whether something good is good or not is hinged on how effectively can this distract me from life for long periods of time, right? Yeah, that discussion that's, that's is a weird criteria screwed. for for you know grown adults. So for me, that's been a big part of like not wanting to be involved in games discourse at all and why like in the past two years since we've done this i've completely changed the direction of what i'm doing to reflect that (laughs) it does kind of feed into the whole game addiction thing which i've had to deal with for ages like oh oh god every single time a game gets popular it's like and the who obviously just recently classified game addiction as a a treatable like disorder and it's like those two things fortnite and Mm -hmm. the who addiction thing just created this perfect storm of just fantastically misinformed um mainstream media coverage of games Mm -hmm. and so i've I've spent a lot of time like fielding you know who really i got asked to go and argue with piers morgan about it because who (laughs) wants to go and voluntarily be near piers morgan to argue about this stupid endless endless debate on whether video games are bad for everyone all the time depends how many knives someone has a hold (laughs) (laughs) but one of the things that i think it's it's useful to acknowledge is that games are a way to just get away and for some people they do use them as a way to not deal with their problems i've had that definitely definitely. i I, there was a a stage in my life where world of warcraft was the answer to a a problem i was having like I, i I was at university before I realized really what I wanted to do. So the time in my life when I thought I was going to be a civil engineer didn't didn't pan out so well. <laughs> um, and I that was a scary realization. And WoW was a way to just sort of bury my head in the sand a little bit and distract myself from it. Thankfully, I also started messing around on YouTube at the same time. Otherwise, I might still believe, I don't know, my head would still be firmly buried in the sand. It is. Yeah, my my university housemate just didn't pass his degree because he was 
he's playing Call of Duty instead of doing his dissertation because he was having like a bit of a mental health problem issue time. Yeah, he'd absolutely, <laughs> you know, like, he was having a bad time and just Call of Duty was addictive enough um, for him to just not think about it. But what you were saying earlier about um, it be, being almost, well, not almost, it being a moral obligation for the designer of that experience to to think about how addictive they're making the game. Years after that moment in my life, I spoke to someone that was working on the World of Warcraft team at the time. And without me even... Uh, bringing up that example, the conversation just uh, drifted into the fact that the team themselves had felt like they had been irresponsible with World of Warcraft. Really? Like, um, not like, and and that is now um, informing the design they're trying to uh, work on. Now, how successful that's been, I, I don't really know. <laughs> well, I was less popular, I guess. I don't know. Well, um, what the end? Are you creating a nicer experience for more people? Yeah, but I think there was also the the idea that like back then wow was blowing up there was nothing else like it and they wanted to hold on to that lead because as you said there was a time when everyone was trying to compete with them mm, and they wanted yeah. to make sure that no one ever had a reason to leave world of warcraft and go and check out the matrix online or rift or that whatever stargate do you remember that stargate mmo that I was don't. so gonna be a thing <laughs> yeah well wow, there were so many of those things. i remember being driven around in a, in a in a purple hummer and at gamescom by the developers that of that of that game what games used to be <laughs> and it was like a they had a screen in the back of the hummer showing the trailer for the game Why a that was it i don't know because they couldn't afford a booth but it was that was a, that was fascinating that studio i can't remember what the studio was called but they turned out to just essentially be a great big shell company i think there's been more, like a bit of a money more than laundering one situation. potential stargate mmo Giant that's been talked about there's also going to be a firefly one oh, God, basically yeah. every, everything that the people industry liked. has always had that yeah. like, i don't know what it was before mmos it was probably handheld games platforms but then then it moved Moved on to being like MOBAs, mm-hmm. and now it's mm. very much esports. Question yes. mark. And like, <laughs> and Whereas like everyone's making one, but you don't. And also, there's so much what we used to call phantomware, yeah, which God, I think is just yeah. such a cool word. It there's there's those games that clearly don't aren't being made, like they do not exist. And now it, it's rare now, but now and then I will encounter a game that somebody's talking about that clearly isn't a lot of isn't them, in production a lot of them at all. The, the term cryptocurrency these days. It's oh yeah, just, yeah. yeah the, the, now it's I think oh god, blockchains. The, oh yeah, that's, that's what it that's is. Very now. much it now. About. Yeah. Th- three in ten of the press releases I received from random strangers. It's like the Bermuda Triangle. There's always an area of games where money just disappears. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of investment, no actual stuff. Don't go near it. Yeah. But yeah, no vaporware stuff is is crazy. I remember actually when Star Wars 1113 or whatever it was called, the one which was... 1313. That's the one. I've forgotten the name of it. 1112. I remember (laughs) after that got canned, lots of people were like, this game never existed. And it's like... No, that really did. did. Yeah, that was... Yeah, it was like, I literally was, I was in a room with like six other journalists who saw it and we saw in engine and it was running mm. and lots of people were like no that's pre-canned it's like no someone uh, someone someone said that about fable legends i was like it had a long beta people were yeah, playing people it. Were. <laughs> like, what does it take to make you believe this game existed mm. truth has become more malleable in recent it has, <laughs> yes. it's, it's, it's on the topic world. though of obviously a lot's happened kez has had a baby mm. i've uh detached from video games as an industry <laughs> like a weird free. balloon yeah. and I now, <laughs> floating free in the universe and now exist almost in limbo weird um uh, but you of course have have done lots of interesting stuff and you've more recently have um parachuted away from Eurogamer to do your own thing yeah i, I quit my job to yeah try and do something kind of similar out of this flat but with uh yeah a a, a slightly different approach to to how that stuff gets funded like it's an issue that you've talked about a bunch with cool ghosts but the youtube sort of world um supports videos that are uploaded very frequently and get an extreme amount of views and the kind of stuff that i was interested in, in talking about 
didn't really fit into that model. But the stuff you're doing is fascinating. And uh, it's called, the new thing you're doing is called People Make Games, mm -hmm. which is a great name. And uh, Video game documentaries. Yeah. yeah. Stories yeah. of things that get made and who makes them. Yeah. Super exactly. cool. Like yeah, mini with stories. With awesome animation. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And he is in the, the illustrator and animator for People Make Games. He's in the room doing some cool stuff right now. You know, I, I, really, I really love a good YouTube series that has nice production. Yeah. It just makes <laughs> me so happy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so, it feels so rare. You know, a lot of the time I'm trying to find something on YouTube. Like, you know, I get recommended just the most random stuff, partly because my stepson uses our YouTube account. Oh, that, get, no. that algorithm gets affected. Yeah, the algorithm gets so weird. Also, only six steps from like CSGO sweet kills to mm -hmm. actual Nazism, which is Yeah, it's, it's almost like a lot of tech platforms actually are either accidentally or purposefully enabling fascism. Interesting about that. I kind of it? feel yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, but so, so uh, you know, but even when I find something good, I'm like, why am I just watching... Like really basic footage that's not even properly been cut. It's just a guy talking, and it's always a guy just talking over twenty minutes. So having you know documentaries that are really lovely to look at and have animation, and it's, it's, it's awesome. I'm a fan. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a it's a weird side product of just how YouTube works, and and the fact that you I don't I don't blame those the people that make those kind of videos. It does the platform encourages it really like the you sort of realize the longer you you work on YouTube um, that you become a slight slave to its algorithm and you just it's like a slight being slave at, a full yeah, slave being at the front of a train just like shoveling mm -hmm. coal into a I realise the thing read the content more I realise it's, it's kind of fascinating that the image we've always had in sci-fi of cyborgs has always been this idea of like humans implementing uh, technology inside of them to improve themselves but actually it's like the way it's panned out is is fascinating. The fact that now humans are basically augmenting themselves and augmenting their own behaviors to better fit algorithms. Yes, it's, to, it's to feed algorithms feed they the, no longer understand as well. There's, yeah. So the YouTube algorithm, for example, um, there's a whole. It's uh, called so, David now, <laughs> and it's completely sentient. <laughs> there's a running joke. That David likes cats. <laughs> I Nazis. really like cats and Nazis. Um, they're trying to have a word. And really, with really distressing children's content. Yeah, but, David won't talk to them anymore. <laughs> but he's still doing a great job of bringing in the ad money. But that that, that is true. So, so there, there was a running joke for what so long mean? that that like you, YouTube staff themselves don't understand the algorithm that is controlling the platform, and it's because that's so frightening. The algorithm itself <laughs> is now being changed and tweaked by other algorithms with several layers deep in the way wow. that it works. Because you can't, no human could, or no group of humans could ever really keep up with YouTube. The amount of hours and days and months of content that is uploaded. The system um, has become kind of terrifying and strange. And the thing, I don't want to be a dick at all, but I find it quite fascinating that the cycle you see of people who do well on YouTube, like really well, um, it tends to be people who work hard for a long time and keep hard, doing yeah. it. However, the main thing is people who work hard, but then gradually adapt what they're doing to better suit what the platform wants. Mm -hmm. And the point at which they're then rewarded with success and they're getting you know millions of subs and doing stuff is like, there's always that tendency for people to feel, and they should rightly feel that they've put the work in and they've, you know, they've worked hard and they've found the graph. But actually a lot of it is more YouTube having finally ground people down and is now patting them on the back and going, Thank you. You're now you're now giving us what we want. You're we now want, approved. We want list features. We want regular stuff. We want this. And if you do that, then you get rewarded for it. And it's also because it's what people know and it's what people want. It's it's not just the algorithm promoting it. It's what people are asking for because they want what they've already seen. Mm -hmm. So they're like, you should do this. You should do that. You know, you you should do a, a, a live D&D series. You know, we did a tiny bit of it on Shut Up and Sit Down. And we were like, eh, it's okay. Like, but, you know, there are people who immediately go, yes, this is what I want. I want more of this forever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you only want that because it's all you know. 
Like you know, there's one one per- person who keeps coming up all the time for me in my YouTube recommendations is is Donkey. Yeah. Um, video game donkey. I quite like video game donkey's humor. Like I, I, I find them an entertaining five minute watch. But what I don't understand is all his videos have like weird ass thumbnails, not about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, titles of the video that are not nothing to do with anything. Um, they're a joke. And I'm like, how the hell did this guy get so many millions of subscribers? Because whenever I see someone who's become super popular on YouTube, it is that formula that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. And Dunky is not that, like, at all. So well, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it is, like, weird stuff, though. Like, people will click on stuff that they're like, what's that? Like, I mean, a lot of YouTube in every realm has been around, like, huh? What's that? Like, mild confusion. Because all you need is you need, A, the numbers to get you into the feed next to other stuff or into the autoplay. And then, B, something about it which leads people to think, I wonder what happens if I click okay, on that. Yeah, oh, no. So, so it's a bit of a different way of feeding. I... It's a bit of a different way of feeding. You're actually feeding the humans, then, aren't you? Rather than the algorithm, so much. Well, we called mm. we called uh, people make games first video the first non-Valve game on Steam. I don't think I've got it. I don't think I've, I quite understand how to <laughs> how to do this. It's, <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. I, I I think there's a lot. Should to put be, a question mark at the end, maybe. There's a lot to be said um, about about defying this i think because it is a system that whereby a machine basically will keep mildly slapping you on the back of the wrist until you do what it wants but that doesn't change the fact that when you're making things and putting things out there people like it the actual people are at the end of it just because you don't get that growth just because you don't get the numbers exploding just because you don't get all the ticker lines going up people are still watching it and enjoying it and i think there is a problem with being like yeah but how can i get more people to look at this not just because you want more people but because you get the sense that like there's probably more people out here that would really like this if they could Mm -hmm. find that and that's the biggest thing i try and work out i'm like look there's got to be more people out here who'd like to see this how do i get it in front of them and the answer is i have no fucking idea (laughs) but if it's a toss-up between not being able to do that or like literally like hammering away at what you're doing until it just fits the mold that everyone else is using i think it's really important just to like kind of hold the line because I think it is it's so tempting when you just try something different and see how successful it is just to think well let's do that because I think there does become a point where if you're working hard and working hard then after a while I think people f- almost forget why they're doing it and they just want to make it and actually a lot of time people just want to make it and I think there's a reason why all of the people who end up being really successful on YouTube are sociopaths <laughs> I think there's a there's a connection slight, slight, there. slight generalization um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes and no though, right? Do you know what's funny? I was in, you know, because a lot of, a lot of um, famous YouTubers live in Brighton and uh, I hear them emanating from my stepson's phone all the time, all day, mm-hmm. and uh, when he's with us. And I was in a Starbucks t- talking to a friend and there was just this person standing, um, waiting for a coffee. And I was just, I couldn't figure out, I was just looking at them and feeling this huge sense of irritation. <laughs> just descending, I'm like, God, why, who is that? Do I know that guy? Why do I, hey? why do I, yeah. I was literally like, why am I feeling so like agitated by looking at you? I couldn't figure it out. And then I caught a, a snatch of conversation when, when he was walking out and it was Jacksepticeye. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's because I keep hearing you. Yeah. I just keep hearing your voice and seeing your thumbnail yeah. just around my house. Are you, are you emanating seem, from various devices. He seems like a, a, a nice guy. From I've what literally I've, never watched one of from, his videos. I, I so I'm not passing it. any judgment on him. But I love the idea that just from hearing his voice and it not being something that you've requested, just in the background in your house, <laughs> you eventually the hated that, the person. I, I, I developed that with YouTubers. That my, like my wife's always watching Instagram stories and there are some people who I'm sure are really nice, but every time they come up, I'm just like, get that person off. Mm. <laughs> I just love the idea that there are just many puzzled parents around Brighton. Just yeah. like, why, why? Like- <laughs> yeah, just looking at who is that? Why have I got this just like... 
Um, just, I can't pin down where it's coming from, but I feel annoyed. <laughs> and a lot of that's probably actually less to do with the person and more to do with the fact that it's it's unwanted. It's audio leakage. Yes, it's not exactly. You've that's what it is for me. It's just that I just hear it around and I'm like, oh, you know. It's you can't control, but yeah. then when it's in front of you, you're like, I don't like this. Your brain just goes, I don't like this. And you're like, I don't know why. It's just going to be mildly yes. annoying. Sorry, Jacksepticeye. I'm sure you're a keen listener to Darth Souls. So <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not yeah. casting any of but I'm sure you're a lovely person. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, he's not a Nazi, which means... But I don't know, give it a week. So <laughs> can you tell us a bit about some of the amazing stories you've been looking into recently? I know you're working on something that's going to go up uh, this weekend, which will probably be before this podcast goes up. Oh, cool. So you can talk about that a little yeah. bit if you want. So the, the first one that went up was um, the, yeah, as I said, the first non-Vile Gamma Steam boring title for a YouTube video. But I thought, you know what, if if we if I've like made the jump from uh, you know working at Eurogamer where we were caring about big numbers and ad revenue to something that, that works differently, mm-hmm. I'm just going to try it a boring title and see if it works and it seemed to which was nice um yeah so that was a the story about uh, a game called ragdoll kung fu which i don't know if you've reviewed played yeah that's back the, in the, day. the media molecule dudes before media molecule yeah so mark healy uh specifically um who famous is famous for inventing the healy's shoes <laughs> yes obviously <laughs> as well as that yeah he had a very very career in fact he has he's he's a really um i love talking to him because he I, i've spoken to like a few well, quite a, quite a few people in his position over the years, like uh, founders of uh, companies that, you know, have close ties to, you know, other big names like Sony or Microsoft or wherever. And, and you... People who are still doing stuff creatively. They're, they're really interesting people, I find. Yeah, but I, I, was, I was expecting him to care about the games industry. And he does care about the games industry, but not in the way that I'm used to. Like, he he blundered his way into getting his game onto Steam and is completely upfront about that. He didn't know what uh, Steam was when this happened. He didn't know who Gabe Newell was. He, the only reason he was in the right place at the right time was because Jonathan Blow, the creator of Braid, um, invited him to come to this experimental workshop thing that was happening um, at the Game Developers Conference. He, he still doesn't really know who Jonathan Blow is. <laughs> he's, got, he's got long hair, he's a complete hippie, and I... I just makes him. mixed dreams now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then you, you, you when you, you work at a studio, you only have to care about what it is that your studio does. And if you work at Media Molecule, you don't have to be paying no attention to anything anybody exactly. else. Exactly, but doing. it's why it's why they're making a game that is so like that looks like nothing else out there. You have actually played Dreams. I remember you. I, have. I think you were one of the first people in the media to go hands on with it and, and came out and like Very everyone lucky. was confused by what it was. And I remember you publishing an article on Kotaku that was like, guys, it's really. It's really good, by the way. No, no, um, seriously. Yeah. Seriously, though. You've been talking... Yeah, I mean, actually, like, I, I feel bad because I, I bumped into them, the community people, years ago, and they were like, oh, do you want to come and play it and, like, do some stream stuff? And I just never got back in touch with them, but I should have done. Sorry if you're listening to Media Molecule. I think you're wonderful. I think Dream look awesome. But, yeah, you've been talking about it a lot. And yeah. obviously talking about the, the pushback as well of the fact that people are like, what is it? Like, yeah. Shut your mouth. It doesn't matter what it is. I was talking to... Siobhan Reddy is the, the woman who runs that studio, the studio director. Mm-hmm. I was talking to her today for a, for a, there was a little conference of like film television and games people it was mostly film people and trying to explain dreams in few minutes that's great. in front of a room full of like tv and film professionals was like so who's done drugs you know when you go to sleep <laughs> anybody <laughs> anybody do some experimenting at university because this is kind of like that but I'll then you your can hand up jump if you did too much experimenting <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, the way i ended up explaining it is you know imagine you're in a studio and you paint or sculpt something and then you can go in it mm. and then you can go in other people's that's the best i could do yeah. that's the best i could do it's, it's, it's seen inception <laughs> that's so far. going to other people's dreams making them think they thought things <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's makes, that's makes essentially think. what dreams is. Wow. Nah, but it's it's, it's it's an honestly it's I think I'm going to live in it for a while when it comes out because the idea is that you can just hop around and the the idea of of calling it dreams and centering it around that idea because that you know we all that's how you, the brain works when it's sort of just futzing away on its own when you're asleep you just end up with lots of stuff that looks and sounds and feels different and bizarre stories that kind of just jump around and yeah. and that's how it's going to work when you're playing it because what you're going to be playing is a lot of stuff from just various people's imaginations kind of, and you can go between them. You can leap between these creations in a kind of daisy chain. So you might be in like a, in a racing level, like a pretty standard 2d racing level. Then you might go into just a kind of room with just like a really good chair in it. And, you might, and then you might end up in a, in a brief noir story. And then you just might end up in a kind of weird little sci-fi bash the baddies situation. And, but I love the creative bit of it myself. Like I'm just going to spend ages in the, and also, um, because not no one person can do everything so there's going to be just a vast library of like cool objects and music and just other stuff that people have just made and uploaded that you can kind of collage together into your own thing if you're not going to be a you know super good at game design yourself or super good at music uh, i'd really like the idea of um just this being able to sit down in front of your playstation for 40 minutes and just make something yeah like yeah. actually create and put something out into the world the other night i dreamt that I fought a horse with Jess off season one of Love Island. So you can make that. Could I make that? You can make that. <laughs> and other oh people can also experience what it is like to fight, fight a horse with, with, with Jess from season one of Love Island. That involved a horse as well. <laughs> I know. Horses run through you like a stick of rock. <laughs> I, I, I think what I like most about the idea of dreams is the fact that like, it feels like Media Molecule in a way are... <sighs> as a studio kind of growing up and in not that's the wrong way to say it actually it's not that they're like growing up i think it's just that they're growing to fit the space that they should within the industry the, because I, yeah. I always like the creativity of like little big planet mm -hmm. but it was always like the heart of that uh creativity was always very mechanical and very fiddly and really when you got to the point of being like look at what this person has made in little big planet it was always things that were um mechanically unlikely yeah, sure. Like rather than yeah. being like, here's just something beautiful. Charmingly so. Whereas I like just making things that are kind of pretty or dumb, making dumb physics things, making things fire off and doing silly things that mm -hmm. make me laugh. Whereas I think with this, there is so much more space for like a space for just being like, yeah, make your own thing. But with the emphasis not being on like the kind of mechanical watch has these little bits of cardboard hit each other and yeah, do a thing. Yeah, it's not like, oh, look, I've made a calculator in Minecraft. Exactly. That, that's not the, the situation. Because there's already enough of that in the world. Yeah. And I feel like, especially with Minecraft having become the thing it has in the time between they started, you know, Little Big Planet and ended. I think it was, it was, ended, it was a, real, um, a real validation of their kind of make, create, play Absolutely. idea, yeah. really. Minecraft is just that. Minecraft is that. Yep. Yeah. But I feel like with that now being done in a way i kind of feel like in that space like minecraft has so much of that knockdown like lockdown in terms of like hey do you want to make a computer in a game just do it in do you want to recreate a city from a tv show there you go you, do someone's done it yeah. someone's, someone's done already it. done it it's to scale i was flying around in that recently actually for, for recording some footage for something and it's it's kind of amazing but yeah I, i'm really excited about dreams and i'm really excited that people are making their, their studio culture is really interesting as well because they're all grown-ups and they've all got kids mm -hmm. and all obviously most of them are, you know have kids and stuff so they, they have instead of like a kind of drinking culture they have a really big lovely kind of restaurant style sort of you know big wooden benches nice big wooden tables and they have chefs and they just all kind of have lunch and dinner together a lot of the time that's and, really nice yeah and they just have really nice like really beautiful food just really nice vegetarian pies and stuff and you know they have a little chef team and everyone kind of sits around and eats together and sometimes people just bring their kids in and it's just like it's the nicest studio 
it's the opposite of that like you know usually when you see in a studio the canteen is you know your kind of google style kind of very yeah. corporate sort of you know and, and all the vending machines have like energy drinks in them whereas media molecule it just feels like a kind of a family atmosphere these tiny really things are so, it's so important as well like especially i think it kind of stemmed from the fact that when you were talking about you know, meeting Mr. Healy himself mm-hmm. and his incredible shoes. Um, <laughs> and uh, hair. Oh God, the yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah. I think I haven't met him. I think he's a nice guy. But um, it's the fact that, yeah, he's like not that into games. Like he, I think that's important. And I think it's like you can't keep doing stuff within games and can't keep running companies and doing things that is meaningful, I don't think, without also being... A, slightly detached from the culture because it's nonsense and because you make things like dreams and people are going to go, what's the point in this? And get angry about it because it's not a game or whatever. But also, like, it's really important that they are doing things like removing away from drinking culture at work and finding other ways to bring the company together because it's like, it, it feels at the moment in the past couple of years, especially, it's it's got worse and worse in terms of there being room for people who are not um, in it for the long haul, in it completely obsessed with it and yep. not willing to see any criticism of it to exist. There was an interesting uh, quote that came out recently f- in terms of how Nintendo thinks about the designers they hire and actually how much they're into games was not a priority. That it was, was from my interview was it? on The Guardian. Nice. Yeah, I, but that's, that's a, a wonderful that official way Guardian of thinking. <laughs> Don't know where it came from, and it, and and you yeah you look at Media Molecule and you see the exact same kind of stuff there. The, the that studio formed because of Ragdoll Kung Fu, but Ragdoll Kung Fu only happened because um, Mark Healy and Kareem, who's one of the co-founders, and a bunch of other people like their mates basically were filming a weird kung fu movie in the park one weekend, and they were proper adults at this stage and probably should have grown up and do so uh, very funny videos or things. But like that, that oh, Chris adults don't do taxes for God's sake. <laughs> Nobody does taxes. Apart from accountants, <laughs> but they were they were they were making that just to make something, and it, you can you get a sense of that in without being too like I'm sure, you know they're a company and of course they have like uh, objectives like the everyone else, but they, you get a sense of that in the way in the weird way that Media Molecule has been formed and the weird stuff they now make. Like the longer Little Big Planet was going on, actually, you you wonder if they were starting to lose that a little bit because they were making you know a sequel to to capitalize on the success of Little Big Planet and to see them just go, no, actually, we're doing Tearaway now and now this weird game that Kez has tried yeah. to explain and I still sort of get, but don't really. And that's well, I think that's Tearaway great. was them going down the right angle because mm. I well, think... Well, Tearaway was their attempt at doing an author, like, here's the story we want to tell you in our way. Yeah. But rather than, you know, very much everything else they make is about, here's something you're doing and here's your thing. But it was also like, here's a squirrel designing my hat. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that specifically happened. It did, yeah. You made okay, him a crown, yeah. crown for the king's crown. No, that's nice. Well, I think Sweet. like, yeah, that with Little Big Planet, they had the idea of like creativity and stuff, but then hinging it around this mechanical side, they didn't quite have a tool set that was like usable by normal humans to do things because it was like, it was so complex and fiddly, yeah. really. Um, but it was, what they were trying to do was like create something where you could be creative. And then with Tearaway, obviously they were trying to do something more authored, but it also felt like they went, look, we're going to be giving people the tools to be creative, but they're going to be creative more artistically rather mm. than like um, engineering. Yep. Really. That's not a word. But uh, yeah, I think with Dreams, it, it looks like there's a, there is an element of engineering. There's room, there's room for everyone. It, that, that's one of the things that you get about making games. You know, every, there's room for everybody of all exactly. creative and, and programming and design disciplines. And no matter what kind of brain you've got, what, what you really enjoy doing, whether it's like designing little games or making a nice image or, you know, 3D sculpting or 
music. Like literally you could just do one of those things if you wanted. Yeah. Dreams. And I think that's why I'm not surprised that they, they kind of actually try and develop office culture that doesn't center around booze. Cause I mean, for those of you listening, it's like, who don't know this, like when you have office culture that centers around drinking, um, it seems harmless, but it's actually not good because some people can't go out and drink after or work or don't want to. And that means yeah. that they end up excluded from the company yeah. culture. And so that's that means like if you don't drink thing, for some reason, yeah. then you're excluded from company culture. Or if traditionally, if you've got kids and you're the one who's expected to go home after work and look after the kids, then yeah, you can't have yeah. the, yeah, you're the boring mean, one, right? can, yeah it can mean you can miss out on you know opportunities within your own company because you're not having those like conversations you're in a, in a formal moments. set yeah, so you've got to make those bonding moments available for everyone so companies that think about this stuff like they're the companies that actually bring in people who are going to be more diverse than just like you know people like yeah, me actually, who will be like hey i'll go to the pub actually it'd be interesting to see more games companies hire designers not game designers you know not like the, the people that don't just care about that one medium that, that want to bring in different ideas and things that yeah. not not emulate things that other game designers are already It feels doing. like it's always been really important, but it's just going to get more and more important now. Mm. Because I think the sort of people you have now who are just obsessively playing games, you're not the people they... The, these are not the people you want designing games of the future. Yeah. Well, it's partly because... Um, so I was speaking to a very interesting person recently called Brie Code. Yeah, and she's yeah, great. She's super interesting. And she um, so she used to work at Ubisoft working on Assassin's Creed mm -hmm. and she I think she led the Child of Light project oh cool um, and she basically noticed herself and everyone around her at Ubisoft kind of getting a bit bored of video games but everyone had to pretend to still because you know you work at Ubisoft and being passionate about games is really important so everybody still had to kind of pretend to be into the same thing and uh, she she left to make games with people who think games are boring so she's collaborating with various people so the, the first one she's making is called it's called Self Care and it's uh, designed by like conceptualized by a, um, a magazine editor from Montreal um, called Eve Thomas. And Eve, like, you know, like many people plays, play games as a kid, but just hasn't really played them lately. And when Brie was talking to her, like, what would you want from a game? You know, what came out was something like nothing like what you would what you would normally mm -hmm. design a game around. So it's a game in which you can't be bothered to get out of bed. You're just having one of those days. And you can just do lots of little calming activities around the room. How'd you beat it? <laughs> There's like, like one, one of the interesting things that Bree said is that it's a game that you play it and instead of getting harder and harder and harder until you fail, it gets easier and easier and easier until you naturally lose interest and stop playing it. Oh, okay. So it's like you, you play it for a few minutes, haven't, you know, and then it naturally stops being interesting and you put it away and maybe you come back to it, it later. It becomes a thing that you just, you realize you're just playing with. Do you know what it is? Nekoatsume is that kind of situation. I don't know what that means. Nekoatsume is that cat collecting game. You must have seen Neko Atsume, have you nope. not? Nope. It's, uh, it's on phones. Really? No. Oh my God. See, this is because I'm the girl. This is why I know about <laughs> Neko Atsume. But it, so that's a cat collecting game where you have a, it's on your phone and you have a garden and you put objects in your garden and then you, when you come back to the app, some cats might have come to visit. That's nice. And depending on what, good. depending on what objects you have in your garden, different little cats might come or the little guy with a little train hat might come if you buy a cardboard box that looks a bit like a train. And if you want the the cat dressed as a chef to come, then you have to put out like, it's, it's just, it's a really fun, pleasant some experience. Some Crusoe pans, presumably. <laughs> yeah, basically. Nice, nice, <laughs> I actually nice. can't, no, I think the fat cat comes if you put out really fancy food. Um, but yeah, so you just, every now and then you think, ooh, I wonder what cats are in my garden. A souffle for me, you <laughs> say, for souffle, exactly <laughs> what I want. You open the app and they're just there. Or you get this one that I think 
there's a a little yogi guy cat who turns up if you just buy a really tall cat tower he just sits at the top of it like yeah this, this is where i am and um it's just to give you just open it maybe once twice a day and see, see what happening. lovely cats have arrived in your garden and then maybe you <laughs> fiddle around with it and maybe not and you close it again and it's just it's just a nice game and, and there are lots of games like this that do exist but they don't tend to get talked about as games because no. you know that they're, they're and and one thing that uh that Brie talks about is this idea of tend and befriend as opposed to fight or flight. Like most games are designed around a fight or flight stress response. Mm -hmm. Whereas many people, including many women, of course, have a, um, a different response to stress, which means that most games that are revolved around combat or fighting or kind of stressful situations, they prefer to play a game that involves like, like SimCity is a good tend and befriend kind of situation or like the Sims, obviously, or, Harvest Stardew Moon, Belly. Stardew Valley, Ooh, yeah, yeah, just a game where you just kind of put things in a nice order mm-hmm. and sort of the the way that you that you deal with the stress is to kind of nurture something mm-hmm. or you just create a pleasant experience. And the idea that most games actually don't they create very exciting experiences, mm. but they don't really create a pleasant experience. And I think that what interesting. was interesting about that is I always used to foresee this as being like different things that different people liked. Like, oh yeah, I like this kind of game. You like this kind of game. And that was especially an easier way of like gendering it a lot of the time of being mm. like, maybe girls like this. What I realize now as I get older is like who you are is not stable. It's not a fixed point. It's not a fixed yeah. point. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it will be in flux. And I think when people become adults, they become very much like, you get the sense of like, this is who I am. Because you have become more stable because the period of flux is sort of leveled out. Ha <laughs> bad news for you guys. At some point in your life, <laughs> something is going to happen. For a lot of people, it's having a kid. And a lot of people talk about that and like, oh, it changes your life. And like, it kind of annoys me when people are like, having kids, you know, it changes your life. And it's like, yeah, so does your wife getting cancer. Absolutely. Like, life is going to change you mm. at some point. Like, there's going to be big events that are going to grab you by the, the neck and be like, look, your life's going to dramatically change. So now I find that. Yeah, I find that games I used to love, like Devil May Cry and da da I'm enjoying God of War, but I'm enjoying it more as a series of set pieces mm. that I can kind of sit back and watch. Mm-hmm. And the fighting is fine, but there's just enough of it. If there was any more, I'd be like, this is too much for me. But, you know, the- I've got enough stress in my life already. Now I like, yeah, right. I like playing board game Euro games. And a game I played at GDC this year, which was the most exciting game I've played in years, was a physical game, which was uh, involved origami. And I've, I've completely forgotten the name of it, which is annoying. We talked about it on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Um, it's gone. But basically, it was um, a game where basically you just have these origami sheets and there's some rules. Like, you know, you can't, you have to fold along this line and you can't fold against this. And it has to be complete folds. And you can only fold, basically, is if you flip the paper over on both sides or whatever it's folded, there has to be a line in exactly the same place on both sides of it. Right. So that, that's a legal fold. Anything else you can't fold, fold up. Yeah. That's well, but then the aim is, is you just have to fold the paper so you can see a perfect circle. Do you know they, don't, they put rules on origami, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> it's a revelation. But it meant it was a single player puzzle game using origami. But what I found was, to begin with, they were incredibly easy. It's just like, it starts off being like a tutorial. Like, yeah, just fold that in half, it's done. But also on these pieces of paper, they'll have beautiful art and stuff. So they're just nice to look at. That's nice. But what I found was lovely is as they got harder and harder, I started to get to the point where I'd usually be frustrated. If it's a puzzle game, you know, it reminded me of playing The Witness, of being like, oh, I can't, I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried this. I can't work it out. I've thought about it. I still can't work it out. Am I being stupid? Do I need to know something else? And then you get to the point where you're just trying stuff, but in a way which is bored and frustrated and disconnected. But what I found with this, which was lovely, is I'd get to that point, but I'd never actually get stressed. What I would do, because it was just a piece of paper in my hands, is I'd just keep folding it and I'd just be like, all right, I'm actually just going to stop thinking about it. And then I'd just be like, basically just 
toying with it in my hands and I might talk to somebody else whilst doing it. And what I started to find was my hands were solving the puzzles for me without me consciously looking at them. And the hardest one I did, I was, wasn't even thinking about the whole time. I was just like folding stuff, doing stuff, and I was talking to somebody next to me. And then I looked down and realized I'd, I'd completed it and I have no idea how. Like, <laughs> I, just, I just processed it. But what I found was it was this lovely space to solve puzzles, but then having my attention lapse in and out of it, of being like, now I'm thinking about what I'm doing. Now I'm not. And it's just become like reflexive and I'm, I'm not physically thinking about what I'm doing at all. And I think that's a space in video games that often isn't there. Often they will demand to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And do you're this. Like, you've right, got time right, right. You've got to do this really quick or you're going to get killed. Well, it's quite nice to have something where you can focus on it quite intently, but also just not be focusing at all. And it's not a problem. I, I actually, I, I've had a similar experience and saw the juxtaposition between those two feelings, like a, a game that's demanding your attention, one that you can play and enjoy within the same game. In Stardew Valley, there's, mm. which I've, I, partly because of uh, quitting my job and starting something new, it's been a stressful couple of months and it's been nice to have something to dip into for half an hour and like 10 tier parsnips and then that's it. And you can have a chat whilst you're doing it and it's just nice. But there's, I, there have been a couple of moments in that game where I've I've stumbled and tried to ruin it for myself. The first time was when I, I think everyone has this when they play Stardew Valley, and I really advise you to fight against it, is that you want to try and make an efficient farm. You want to try and make one Min-max that makes... Min-max your farm. Yeah. And, I, and it's I, terrifying. You look online, there's all these frightening guides to how to min-max your farm. And I was like, I was just putting the tomatoes down there. It's so tempting room. to do it because, because, do because there's money. Not 100 pumpkins in just five minutes. Literal like grids of, they look like cities of, yeah. of pumpkin. It <laughs> made me so stressed. Like in, it's in, a stressful in game, your, game character. Though. your character bloody collapses from exhaustion. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, the energy well doesn't help. But in the game, like it, it was quite amusing because your character is supposed to be escaping the the office lifestyle Drudgery, yeah. to to mm-hmm. be more creative and, and more laid back. And then, as the player, you sort of and you, you if you're like me, you sort of realize you're just recreating the experience in a different setting. And then you fight against it, and it's great. And I'd gone through that hurdle, and it was lovely. And then I found this mini game called the something of the Prairie King. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, in the in the, the bar, the song of the Prairie King. It's something like that, and it's based. It's just like a, a top-down um, survival shooter. Yeah, Robotron. Yeah. yeah, and I was told in like I saw a note in, at some point in the game that said if you beat it, there's a reward, and that that planted a seed. Gamer if you'll forgive the pun, yeah. that just sprouted into a horrible, ugly-looking parsnip in my brain because I just I was obsessed with it, and I was on a plane. Um, I went to Ireland recently. Um, with like a couple of people and I bought Stardew Valley because it would be a nice game to play whilst chatting to them. And I went to play the journey of the Prairie King or whatever it was, which is you can't pause it. You have to be concentrating for like 10 minutes flat and it's really difficult. And I just ignored them and was like buried in it. Mm. And I was so stressed out. I, it was an awful like experience and it was completely counter to why I enjoyed that game well, in the first place. I'm just going to throw this one out here. And this is probably one of my more controversial opinions. Um, but I've played a lot of Stardew Valley. I really don't think I like that game. Oh, really? Interesting. I think that the problem I have with it is the fact that it is ostensibly a game about being like, hey, forget your stressful life, forget Mm. your worries, come and live the farm life. But I don't think... But everyone's having the same experience of feeling like you have to fight your instincts to to min-max it, to go through the... Mm -hmm. I think it is a game which is a stressful game. 
in a wrapper of something which is relaxed. Right. And I think that it's not just about the grid-based vegetables. It's about the fact that like you're constantly looking at deadlines. It's not just like, when are you going to do this? It's like, it's someone's birthday. It's this. Did you remember to do this? Do you remember to get this item? It's a constant shopping list of things you should be doing and a character that will make a game system which will make you feel bad when the character collapses because they can't do anymore. <laughs> and also, I feel like a lot of the, the wholesomeness that people talk about mm. in terms of like, yeah, but it's a nice thing. The writing is crap. The writing is bad. The characters yes. are crap. It's a shame. And I feel like actually... I, I, I love a lot about it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love the music. I think the music is wonderful. And I love Harvest Moon games. But I feel like actually beneath the surface, it's quite a strangely mechanical, soulless thing that I found was very helpful for me when I was feeling very stressed and found it to be a game where I was like, yeah, I feel stressed. When I'm, but I was playing it as a game to relax me. And the music might do that a bit, right. but I don't think the game does. And I, I kind of right. feel like it was, a for me, I, I, I started describing this to, to Quinns when I was talking about it, as a depression trap. Because I felt like it was something I was doing that was helpful to me when I was depressed or anxious, but I don't think it is. Counterpoint. I, um, one of, <laughs> I do swim lessons with my baby. And uh, at one of the swim lessons, there was one of the dads, um, he had a Super Mario sling, um, which yeah. is super cute. I said, I love your saying, that's lovely. And he went, are you Kesa McDonald? Because <laughs> it turned out he, he used to read IGM when I was working there. It's not who you expect to bump into and in a, a baby swimming Right, pool. baby <laughs> swimming, recognized a baby swimming, couldn't tell if it was career cool. high or career low, but... I think that's pretty cool. Um, but so he, um, so I I was friends with his um, his partner who takes her baby swimming. Anyway, so she's um, not particularly interested in games, uh, but he is. And so he's always trying to, you know, as you do, trying to give her things that he thinks she might like um um and i got them to get a switch and she got so into stardew valley um and she because she hadn't got the kind of gamer scaffolding in your brain she didn't care about all the deadlines and all the birthdays and all the systems and the caves she never even went in the caves she didn't mind but there must have been something she just planted some stuff and had a nice time with it and you know she she didn't have the the pressure that you kind of because when you when you've played a lot of games, you're looking for the goal. I know what you mean. You know, yeah. and I feel like actually my gamer brain impedes me from enjoying some stuff as much as as much as I'd like to because I'm const- I've got that min maxing yeah. impulse that you have, Chris. Mm-hmm. Where it's like I'm trying to kind of figure out how to efficiently, you know, to exploit the systems of the game. Basically, I'm like, where are the systems? How do I do well at it? I want to do well at it. I want to do good. Mm-hmm. I want a high score. You know, I've got that. I've very much got that in my brain. Um, and it, it does impede impede me from enjoying does, stuff. But I always think that, that, that when you end up having a relationship with a game and it can be a bad relationship, mm. but I do think it's a two-way thing. And I think the funny thing is like, yeah, I'm sure there are people who are like not susceptible to it who can just go in, but I still think that Stardew Valley is a, ge- Stardew Valley is a game which is very addictive. And every time I play oh, it, it is, I get really hooked yes, to it. Quite but then I find myself, the question I always have to ask myself with this is if I'm playing a game which is very addictive what am I getting out of it um, apart from just something to pass the time? And like, that's when I start to look for like story or narrative or sense of like, uh, is am I getting anything from this? Yep. And like, I think the interesting thing is like, I look at something like Destiny and I'm like, I know what it is. Whereas I think there's just a lot of the conversations about Stardew Valley as because it's twee and because it's nice and because it's like, hey, relax, de-stress. It's like it kind of a lot of the conversations forget to mention. It's like, yeah, but it is like if it was on your mobile phone, people would be like, this is just another addictive mobile phone game. But like there is more to it than that. But I don't know. I kind of feel like some games actually actively push against that addiction. And I, I that's why I love Destiny 2. It's why I love Breath of the Wild. That game is a game which I after an hour, two hours, I, I don't want to keep playing. I want to put it down, and have a break. 
And for somebody whose brain is wired up to be addicted to things, I have so much respect for that because that is game design. And I don't know, I, I don't think it's bad, but I just think it's like, it's something that is quite addictive and quite thin. Uh, yeah, I've got to say Stardew Valley was just a, a way for me to delete time when mm-hmm. I first started playing. Exactly. It was when I was up all night with the with the tiny, tiny squalling pink creature uh, all night, all night, literally on. It's, it, nobody tells you this, really. They're like, oh, you don't get much sleep. No, you actually get none, like none. They, they 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 sleep for like 20 to 40 minute bursts at random periods during the day it's not it's not sleep that's not how humans no. sleep no so for the first few weeks i would just play stardew valley all night and I, I honestly i can't remember a damn thing about it i couldn't remember anything about the game i couldn't remember what i'd done or who i couldn't remember anything because i was so sleep deprived but then i picked it up again on switch and basically got to the point where i completed my what do you call it community center mm-hmm. oh okay yeah. and i was like okay i'm done i'm gonna stop playing this now but I, there was another 50, probably 100 hours in total I spent on it. 50 on the PlayStation that I don't remember a minute. I remember planting some seeds. Mm. I remember for that game was just a game about hoeing things in grids for me the first time around. And the second time around, I got much more out of it because I was more present I while I was playing. I think it's fine. I just, I just yeah. think it's one of those things where like there's a weird tendency for people to be like, this game is addictive and bad. This game is, is, is like, there's a kind of worthiness that sometimes comes. Like it's like, yeah. like I, I saw people talking about Stardew Valley as if it was self-care and i'm like is it or is it just a way to make time go away and that's fine and making time go away is fine <laughs> chris what's your next documentary about before we i think we asked you about i was hoping like I was, I was hoping to introduce it to you to be like oh, oh. I, I want because i think what you're doing is incredibly exciting and i know we haven't really talked about what the format of this podcast is going to be going forward but mm-hmm. one of the things i'd love to have a regular thing would be to be talking in a little bit more depth and talking around some of the stuff that you're covering i'm, still, I think it's really I'm still very bad at talking about um about this thing i think it's because we because it was it's launched as a, a patron and and to begin with you you know there's a launch video which you help me film thank god um i'm i'm quite british but i'm also just even within that just a bit awkward and well, next and time i'm gonna have to come with like a list of questions to grill you about um, stuff the, i'll be your pr person <laughs> the next, yeah the next, i'll do it the next story is about the uh, the making of the original Star Fox mm. and how there were three British teenagers. Oh, with Dylan Cuthbert. Yes, with Dylan awesome. Cuthbert in the in a back room in Nintendo, and that a bunch of the Nintendo designers, including Miyamoto, would um, come in and, and sort of and work with them, but so, sometimes just watch them while smoking and and like get a sense of this weird experimental game they're working on because. Star Fox was the first NES game with a, like a true 3D engine, and these like quite cocky British teenagers understood how to make that work better than Nintendo did on their own hardware, and that's amazing. And, and Miyamoto, Miyamoto smoking, Miyamoto chain that, smoking. We were talking about this. Like, yeah, I just can't imagine that. He's so he's so wholesome, and it's so like the, the last thing I saw with Miyamoto was him like saying "Good day, mate" to like the Australian Super Mario Odyssey players. And that is Miyamoto for me, being charming and smiley. And I can't see him with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. What does that look like, Gezza? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, it's, it's not it's right. It's not working for me. It's like, I'm getting, I'm trying to imagine it. And I'm getting just like that kind of pixely censorship happening as soon yeah. as the cigarette gets near his mouth in my brain. Like my mind's eye, I can't do it. So I've been told he he stopped smoking after the original Star Fox, which I, I don't know if, if that's actually the case or if it's just like the Miyamoto brand could no longer be seen smoking you know it's like just doesn't work it doesn't work he's out in his garden yeah (laughs) thinking about pikmin and having a cigarette uh but yeah there's the the, that game was really experimental i've um i've actually been playing it for the first time over the last few weeks and oh on the on the nes mini yes yeah it's just uh, connected to a very messy looking elgato and yeah it's a 
it's a very it's so experimental. The bosses in that game are just have clearly come from just people like trying new things and and getting away with it. And and it seems like the the culture around these three teenagers working there, which was very like they had. Some amount the last of autonomy. boss was a big face. Yeah, the last it was boss a big was face. A big There's face. a secret one that's just a slot machine. I don't. I, well, how did that end up in the game? I don't really know. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, now, I'm really looking forward to that. I saw some of the animation for it, which is yes, kind of working, amazing. Work in progress, yeah. and it was really, really cool. So yeah, do keep an eye on that. And people make games, and obviously Kez's stuff on the Guardian is fantastic. Uh, you're really having a lot you- of conversations and and bringing things into the the foray that that need to be talked about and it's often just like stuff like dreams for example yeah. um, it's, it's cool because uh you know i spent you know over 10 years working for nerd publications yeah with nerds like me mm-hmm. and now i'm in like a building full of people who don't play really video Didn't games you say on like one of the first days on the job like you had a conversation with the culture editor about like what so Talk to me about like why video games are part of the culture yes. section. Yeah, because I not I, in a demeaning no, way. No, not like in a demeaning way at all. Just he was, he's my my editor, the culture editor at the Guardians is you know very interested and receptive. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know it's it's really going back to kind of explaining and what I like about about the job is that it's different. It's actually a different thing to do to try and talk. Like, I'm almost like an emissary from the world of video games on mm-hmm. on a you know for, on a kind of left left leaning sort of liberal website. Um, with a much greater age range of readers than I would get on Kotaku. Right. Um, so it's, it's, it's cool. I really enjoy being, being the emissary. And it's also, I, I'm trying to pick out the things that are the most interesting mm-hmm. um, for, for the range of people who read. And sometimes I feel like I'm trying to sell games to Guardian readers. And sometimes right. I feel like I'm trying to sell the Guardian to games <laughs> readers. Oh, but good. like there is a sweet spot in the middle <laughs> that I'm trying to kind of find. And now and then I write something, I find a story or get, get someone to do something that's right in there. One of my favorite things we've done so far um, Keith Stewart, who's the Hotel correspondent now, mm-hmm. but used to be Games Editor at the Garden, he wrote this expose on the Super Mario movie. Oh, wow. And he just got the best stories. And it was just one of those things that he spent a few weeks on and we put it up and it did crazy, crazy well. Everyone loved to read about Dennis Hopper losing his shit <laughs> in the Super Mario movie. It was great. We got another one coming on Street Fighter soon. No, Street, cool. the, the 1994 oh, seven. My. Seven. Oh, my. Well, 1990s Street Fighter movie. That was a weird time for everybody, they, mm. they especially were, people in that film. <laughs> yes, yeah. they were all really hot all the time because they had to do they had to do filming in tropical, but they were they were all supposed to be super muscly, but they kept losing weight because it was too hot. That that movie is a is a bad movie, but has one of like it has a, a really great scene in it with M Bison where the the line about like for me it was just a Tuesday yeah like, when they're talking about for you the... it was what, what was it no we're gonna need to look that quote up we can't we can't bastardize it look yeah. that quote yeah. up guys it's good <laughs> we'll put it in the description that's what people do and on that bombshell I think we're gonna have to wrap up uh, this first uh, episode of season two uh, thank you very much for listening and sticking with us over this slight hiatus uh, we'll be back in the uh, probably next month for another new episode of season three of season oh. three we'll be back in 2022 <laughs> from the ashes of society uh, yeah no thank you very much for listening and uh, yeah we'll see you next time goodbye bye bye, bye.